Well, today we're back in the book of Acts in our series titled Witness, the Ongoing Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and in a moment we'll jump in, but first, gotta get a picture of Lucy from yesterday. I actually saw her this morning. Um, I was able to get a bow tie tied because Jess stopped by the church to pray with me and tie it before service. So it's a good start to the morning. Lucy is almost walking and falling over a lot. Um, and uh, it's just wonderful watching her start to take those first steps and different things. But So I got to share that before I get in or I'll get in trouble. Um, but now it's time for us to jump in. Um, and as we jump in today, we're, we're in the book of Acts. Um, Rich mentioned it. We've got that um, on the curriculum. There's a reading plan. And if you aren't following along the reading plan, I want to encourage you to do so because the reading plan is going to help you orient to where we're at today. Um, today, for those of you who didn't know about it, or have, I am going to kind of catch you up, but in future weeks, I'm just going to assume hopefully you're reading along with us through the book of Acts. Um, but, but last week, Rich talked in Acts 1, verses 1 through 11, about the big idea of the book of Acts, which is that the Holy Spirit is going to come to the disciples, the apostles, in power, and they will be, and, and the church will be, the witness of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and we, we looked at that last week, and then what happens right after that in Acts is that um, the apostles, and there's a number of other believers at the time, they gather together, and they're, they're praying, and they decide, well, Judas, who committed suicide, the one who betrayed Jesus, we need to replace him among the 12 disciples of Jesus. And so they pray, they cast lots, and they appoint Matthias, and now they have 12 disciples or apostles now, again. Um, and then after that, in Acts 2, we see they, they've been praying about 50 days since the resurrection. They're, they're praying, and, and at that moment, they, the Holy Spirit descends in a cloud. And if you remember from our last series, um, when the tabernacle was first dedicated, and when the temple was first dedicated, a cloud came down from heaven. And when it came into the tabernacle, and when it came into the temple, people could not enter it because the Spirit of God was there. But in Acts, we see something new, because Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and rose again. When the, when the cloud descends, instead of the people being driven from the room, instead, the Holy Spirit enters into each of them in a new way. And we see something new happen. And you're probably wondering, why aren't we preaching that? Good question, but we're not. Um, but, but that story, that story is so amazing. And what happens is all of these believers, this early church, they all begin to speak in the languages of other people who were at Jerusalem in that day. And they go out and they start proclaiming Jesus. And in the midst of that, Peter, you know, the one who, who at one point declared Jesus Messiah, and then at another point denied him three times and ran away, that same Peter begins preaching. And he begins preaching about Jesus Christ, the resurrected king from the line of David, who the Jewish leaders had killed and who had risen again. And as he preaches, the people who hear that are cut to the heart, and Jews from all over who had gathered in Jerusalem for this festival, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then in Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see the picture of the ideal early church because what happens out of that is this early church that went from like 100-some to 3,100-some is all of a sudden all these people are living together and daily they're devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to prayer, to the scriptures, to, to just being in community, to breaking bread together. And they have this deep sense of unity that when I read about it, I say, I want that 
in my life. I want that for our church. And, and what comes out of that is that daily there are those being added to their number, people being saved. And so in Acts 3, Peter and John, full of the Holy Spirit, they go to the temple and on their way there they do a miracle. They heal a man and then they begin preaching Jesus Christ, the resurrected king from the line of David. Who, who had, and, and people start responding and then the Jewish leaders are ticked. They're annoyed. Why are they annoyed? Because they made sure that Jesus got killed. They were the orchestrators behind that and now they hear he's being preached again. And so they get Peter and John and they start threatening them and they say, stop it. And Peter and John are like, no. And they say, stop it. And they threaten them, but they can't really do anything because what do you say? What do you do here when they've just done a miracle? They thought this was over when Jesus died. And now there's two and more that are starting to proclaim the same things that Jesus proclaimed. And, and what comes from this story is Peter and John in Acts 4, they go back to the believers and they're all gathered together and, and they're told, stop, but they're told by the Jewish leaders, stop this. And they gather together and say, let's pray for boldness to keep doing this. And so they pray. And when they finish praying for boldness to keep preaching, the ground shakes, they're filled with the Spirit again, and guess what they do? They keep preaching with boldness. And when we come to the passage today, we're just at the end of that. They've just experienced their first outside trial, and today we're going to look at the first internal trial of the church. But first, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Um, Lord, we thank you for Brandon, for his heart for you. Um, we thank you for the way that he is declaring and witnessing to you in his workplace and his desire to share his testimony here and be baptized in obedience to you. Um, and we thank you for just the ability to connect to people in this time, that they could come in and do that. Um, we thank you for how blessed we are as a church body, that what unites us is your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, it's, it's to your Spirit that we pray this morning that your Spirit would be working in our hearts. Um, this passage is very challenging, but Lord, we pray that you'd be working in our hearts as we hear it. We pray you'd be just moving in us that, that we would respond, that we would hear your voice speaking. It would not be my words, but yours. Um, and, and we pray, Lord, that you would just help us respond, that we would look like the church of Acts 2, 42 through 47 and 4, 32 through 37. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. I want to draw your attention. The title of this sermon is Heart and Soul. Um, and, and the early believers, the, the church is described as a, those who believed were of one heart and soul. And what did that look like? They didn't think that what was theirs belonged to them. Instead, they saw it as belonging to the group and they had everything in common. And what that means is if someone had a need, they all had a need because they had everything in common. And so they saw what they had as a blessing from the Lord to use to bless others. And, and so they were one heart and soul. And, and the question we're going to look at today is, what does being one heart and soul look like for us today? Because when I read these passages, I'm like, I want that. I want our church to be that. And we're going to look at, first off, what it looks like to be that, and then what are some barriers today that keep us from being one heart and soul together the way the early church was. So they, they were one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving... Now, power, 
Remember last week, the apostles were the witness that you are going to receive the Holy Spirit in power. And now we see it again with great power. The apostles were giving the testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. They are not just declaring Jesus died for your sins, but they are saying he rose again. And they're in Jerusalem and the people they are declaring this to, you have to think those people could probably walk to where the tomb was supposed to be. But they are declaring Jesus rose again. They're also testimony. So, so with great power, the Spirit's going to come on you. That word testimony is tied to the word witness, which is the title of our series and the command that you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that is what they are doing right now. Resurrection of Jesus. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of land or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now that word feet is going to come up later. So I'm underlining it to kind of get it so you're like, oh, I'm going to be aware of feet. Um, So what was happening in their early community? We got to talk about this in a few different ways. So first off, in their community where everyone was of one heart and one soul, if someone had a need, there were people that were willingly selling their lands or their houses so that the apostles could distribute out so that there would be no one among them who had need. And, and when, I, when I say this at first, there's a couple things we need to talk about. And we'll talk about this more later. First off, this passage is not about tithing. We're going to talk a little bit about tithing, but this passage is not about tithing. We're not talking today about how you need to give to the Lord. It's going to come up, but it's going to come up in a very different way than this. We're, like, if, if this passage is literally, it's about tithing, then anyone who owns a house, shame on you. Because you should be, see, right? Yeah, and that's not what we're talking about today. But what we're talking about today is a radical new movement in the church. Because you see, in those days, if you sold your land or your house, could you get it back? No. And if you came and laid all the proceeds from that at the feet of the apostles, it's not like you could then turn around and be like, well, I'll just get a raise at work and cover. No, that's not what would have happened. This is something new and different. This wasn't something that people in that day, the Jewish community was not doing this at all. In fact, if you read through the book of Luke with a critical eye, something you'll notice is that Jesus talks a lot about greed, and he specifically talks about the greed of the religious leaders. Um, There are a bunch of passages about the Pharisees and the way that they are devouring the houses, devouring the houses of widows. And so what we're seeing here is the inverse. People willingly giving up their houses to take care of the needs of others. We are seeing the inverse of what Jesus was complaining against. If you remember a few weeks ago, we were in a series about the upside-down kingdom. And the kingdom that Jesus declared in in Luke 6 and kept declaring throughout the book of Luke, it's here now. Because a people empowered by the Holy Spirit no longer see what they have as theirs, but as blessings from God that they are going to give to others to make sure that this community has all in common and what they have is good. And it is this amazing, unique thing. It's not something that was just happening all over the place. And Luke is like, and the church started doing it too. No one was doing this. And the church started doing this. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we're told about this guy. 
Joseph, who's called Barnabas. Um, And we're not going to spend a lot of time on him, except when we get later into the book of Acts, we're going to see that he plays a key role in in some of the early missionary journeys of Paul, and he's a missionary himself. And so we're just going to mention that quick. Um, But Joseph, Barnabas, was one among many who were doing this practice. And they had lands, and they sold them, and they took the proceeds, all of them, and laid them at the feet of the apostles to distribute to those who had need. And so the early church was a place of one heart and one soul. And so what does being one heart and soul look like for us today? Well, the starting point, or let's look at the things that they cared about and had in common. And and so one heart and soul, the first thing is we are a community founded on the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. That was their foundation, was they were founded on the resurrection of Jesus. And and in declaring that, they, they were saying, this is the value system that we are going to live by wherever we are. They were known for the way we, or they're known for the way they took care of other, those who had needs. And then finally, because the Holy Spirit empowered them to radical acts of mercy as they carried out the mission. And so this, this is what it looks like today for us to be one heart and soul in the way they are. We, we are a community founded on the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus, known for the way we take care of those who have needs, because the Holy Spirit empowers us to radical acts of mercy as we carry out our mission. This is what we as the church are supposed to be. And if we are doing this at the idealistic level, we are going to look very much like the church of Acts 2 and Acts 4. And I think sometimes we do this really well. Um, There are so many stories of outpourings of love. Um, We've recently had a lot of losses in our church, and at the same time in those losses, there have been amazing stories of people just loving on these families. There's been families who are sick where there's been meals taken to them. There, There are all these things where when we hear about needs, we're taking care of them. And I'm proud of our church for that because it's so cool to see when there's been people moving. And usually I love bringing all the youth into moving, but in COVID it's a little bit different because it's like, I don't know where the students have been. I don't know if you want them in your house. But, but even there's been a couple times where I felt sorrow when I've heard someone moved. I'm like, oh, the church didn't help. And then I find out a small group helped. Or I find out other people in the church help. And it fills me with so much joy because I'm like, I mean, I know that's not my job working, I mean, but, but the youth normally don't have anything to do, and so we can go move. And so, so the, it's been very amazing to see in this season the way that our church has been living this out. But I also want to say that, that there's always more we can do for this, and we're going to talk about that. And really what we're going to talk about today is what keeps us from this, because we're called to be one heart and soul, but there's a reality that there are things that keep us from being one heart and soul. And, and so we're going to look at this today. And we're going to really dig into this, but before we dig into this, I need to talk to you a little bit more about something I said earlier. We're not talking about tithing today. Um, I need you to hear that, and I need to stress that, because as we get further and further into this, if you think we're talking about the church wants your money or you need to give more to the church, the implications by the end of this passage will be so warped and twisted that you won't hear a single thing I'm saying. I don't care if you tithe. I care if you tithe from the standpoint of, as a believer, if you go to this church, if this is your church home, I think you should tithe. Jess and I, every year, we look at how much we're going to earn for the year. Before we look at taxes, before we look at anything else, we set aside 10%. So out of every paycheck, before anything else is accounted for, we make sure that 10% of it goes to our local church home. And we do that because, not because we think, oh, we have to do that so God will love us, because we think 100% of what we have been given comes from the Lord. And the Lord asks us for the first fruit, so we give him back 10%. It's not we have to give the Lord 10%, it's the Lord lets us keep 90. 
And I think that's pretty cool. I think that's really important to think about. And as we go into this passage, we're going to talk about that. But I, I want to encourage you, if you're out there and you're like, man, I could not give 10% and stay afloat, I'd encourage you to be praying about it, and I'd encourage you to be thinking about it, because part of this passage is going to challenge you that maybe you need to talk to someone about that. But again, it's not about money. The, the Lord is going to provide for his people. The things that were being done to provide for this early church in Jerusalem that went from 150 to 3,150, people were doing something that had never been heard of before. People don't just sell their land in those days or in these days, but people were willingly doing that because they felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to lift up the church. It's an amazing story, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. But but our goal today is to talk about what keeps us from being one heart and soul. Because the reality is, is that a lot of times we don't live out the values we read in Acts 2 or Acts 4. And a lot of times it makes us uncomfortable to talk about why we don't. And so we're going to look, we've looked at Barnabas already, this guy who sold land, and he was one of many who sold land that he had and laid it at the apostles' feet. And now we're going to look at some people who did it differently. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, and we have to pause on that word knowledge, it's not he said, hey honey, I'm not, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. It's the word knowledge there, it's kind of like they conspired together. They came up with a plan together. This wasn't Ananias said, here's what I'm doing. And Sapphira said, I don't agree. And he said, here's what I'm doing. And she just didn't say anything. They together said, all right, let's do this. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, there's a couple important things here. One important thing here is we don't know how much money they kept back or how much they gave. Luke doesn't tell us. And I think that this Luke is a detail-oriented dude. I think the reason he doesn't tell us is because what matters here is not how much they gave. It could have been that, that they were, when they sold the land on their way home, they walked by a Costco, said, we don't have anything for dinner. And they said, well, let's go in and get a chicken. And then they were like, oh, we forgot our money. Well, we've got all this money from the land. Let's just use some of it and let's just not tell anyone. Like it could be that little. I don't think it was that little. But the point is, it could be they kept 50% back. It could be they kept 20% back. It could be they kept 10%. It could be any amount, but the amount doesn't matter. What matters is the intent. Because you see, when they laid it at the apostles' feet, it doesn't tell us explicitly, but when you read through the text, you see it explicitly. What they are presenting is we, just like Barnabas, and just like these others, sold land and we are giving the full value and laying it at the apostles' feet. Because what they wanted was the esteem that came from giving everything without really giving everything. And for a body of believers that were one heart and one soul, who didn't see their belongings as their own, for these people to do this shows us that there's a disconnect, a very big disconnect, because they're pretending and claiming to be the same as the others. And yet they're saying, but some of this is just ours. Some of this is just ours. We don't quite want to give all of it, but we want you all to think we gave all of it. So Ananias goes and he lays it at the feet of the apostles. And Peter responds, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, a couple very important things here. First off, we are not told by Luke, but Peter knew because he'd looked on Zillow how much the land was worth. We aren't told anything. We don't have any idea of how Peter knew, but I think it's implied that the Holy Spirit 
prompts Peter to say this. And I think that's a very important thing because what does Peter say? The first thing he says, we're talking about heart and soul and how they all had one heart and soul. Ananias does not have the same heart and soul. Why has Satan filled your heart? That filled word is the same word as when they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. Ananias, you are not a part of our community is what he's saying. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He doesn't say, Ananias, why are you lying to me? Because you see, when we come into the church, we lie to other believers. And and what Ananias is doing here, we're not lying to those believers. We're lying to the Holy Spirit. That's the implication in this passage. Ananias is there trying to say, look how great I am. And Peter says, why on earth are you trying to lie to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's not going to let this stand. In the kingdom that Jesus came to bring of upside-down values, the, the kingdom that Jesus came to bring that we're seeing play out in Acts, there is no room There is no room for working towards personal greatness while also working on a second kingdom. You can't be like, like it's an upside down kingdom. You can't be like perpendicular, perpendicular. I think that's the right word. We're going to go with it. But, but you can't kind of be in the upside down kingdom and kind of keep a foot in the other place. And that's what Peter is saying here. Why have you kept back part? He knows immediately. And I think it's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes on, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? You own this land, dude. And after you sold it, was it not at your disposal? The problem here is not that they kept some back. The problem here is not that they kept some back. Peter's like, it's not our, like, you could have given less. You could have said, hey, we're giving you 80%. We're giving you 50%. We're giving you, it didn't matter the amount. What Peter is saying here is he's saying, it's yours to give. And if you don't consider yourself one heart and soul with us, if you're saying, I need to keep some of this for whatever reason, there's no judgment in that if you're just honest about it. But instead, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? And what he's saying there is, you're not a part of our one heart and soul. Why have you contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And that's, that's the problem here. The problem here is they want all the benefits of the kingdom of God, but they want to have all those benefits while staying kind of their own people and being able to do what they want. And, and, and the, what happens out of this? Um, and remember before I go to this next slide and stay there, this passage isn't about tithing. I just, I'm going to say this over and over because I've heard this passage preached on tithing and it's so detrimental and it just kind of neuters what the passage really is. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He died. When he heard these words, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose up, or rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. No ceremony, no funeral, which would have been common in the day. No one even goes and tells Sapphira, yo, your husband's dead. They they just take Ananias and they bury him. There's no mourning in the church. He's just gone. Now, this is an intense moment. And this is why we have to say this isn't about tithing. Because what's really happening here, um, if, if you remember back when we were in our series on New Beginnings, if you weren't here, the, the, the long story short is that in the Old Testament, there was this place called the temple and the tabernacle. And these places where heaven and earth met, where God and his people dwelled together. And at the Pentecost, at the death of Jesus, and then at the resurrection, and at the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came into the, the, the hearts of people, we see a change because the temple is now the body of believers. And when these first two believers approach, and, and, and I don't think they're believers, we'll talk about that in a minute, but when these first two people try and claim their believers and trying to claim their part of the temple, 
When they come in and they lie, it's this, it, it, I think what we're seeing is an echo back to, I think it's in Exodus or, it's, it's in Moses' writing. There, there's a story of the sons of Aaron who offer an improper sacrifice. They've just been given all these sacrificial laws and duties that they're supposed to follow, and they flippantly follow it, and the Lord strikes them down. The sons of Eli in the book of Samuel are killed because of how wicked they are at the tabernacle. There are stories in the Old Testament where people touch the Ark of the Covenant and are struck dead. In fact, there's a, a village in the book of Samuel where the people were like opening, and, and they're, they're, or Second Samuel, but they're opening and they're looking into the Ark of the Covenant because they're like, I wonder what's in there. And guess what? They all die because the Lord strikes them down. Because they're, they're around the holy, pretending to be holy, pretending that they're okay to approach God in this way. And God says, no. And so for Ananias and Sapphira, spoiler alert, they're both going to be struck down in this moment. It is a moment of divine judgment. I'll explain that out later. But the, the point here is, the point here is, is that they are pretending like they are a part of this new temple, this new creation that comes about through the Holy Spirit, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And they're claiming to be priests in that temple because if we are believers, if we have the Holy Spirit, we have access to God and we are essentially his priests here on this earth. And priests in the Old Testament sense, not in the different religious word sense, but, but you and I are, are on equal footing in that capacity. We are priests of the Holy God. Jesus Christ is our high priest, but we serve the Lord as part of his temple. And, and so what's happening here is these people are pretending to be priests, flippantly doing an offering to raise themselves up and try and say, we're higher up priests or something. But the point of this is, is it's rejected by God because God is saying, no, you're not going to be a part of this community for your own gain. That's not the point. You have gained everything in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you are going to try and make yourself more than what God has made you, then you are saying that you think there's something better out there than the kingdom of God. No. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. So there's a lot here right away. No one went and told her. I don't know what to do with that. But what Luke wants to make sure we know is that she comes in, and I think Sapphira comes in thinking, oh, you guys heard about that. (laughs) Oh, wow great. Well, it was nothing. Um, And so Peter says there, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And again, note the so much. We're not told how much. It could have still been an exorbitant amount. It could have been an amazing amount. They could have sold a field that was like half of Jerusalem. They, They could have done something super amazing. But the amount doesn't matter in the eyes of Luke. What matters is they're conspiring against the Holy Spirit. And she said yes for so much, this undisclosed amount. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together? And let me draw your attention to when it says have agreed together, we talked at the start of this passage about one heart and one soul. And the language behind have agreed together is how could you have been of one mind together? How could you have conspired? How could you have done this together? You're one, but not one with us. To test the, Holy, or test the Spirit of the Lord, behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And this is the last time we see feet. But I I see a deep irony that Luke wants to draw out here as he's writing this. And and that irony is they just needed to lay all at the feet of the apostles or lay less and be honest about it. And instead it's their lives laid at the feet of the apostles. And I think that's drawn out here for a reason. And And she breathed her last. 
when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now we're going to pause on a phrase for a moment. We're going to go on a deep dive here. Um, I've been asked before um, at, at this church, we, we did this passage like three or four years ago, and I remember there were people, or it was during a reading plan, people said, do you think they're in heaven? And my initial response was, well, I don't know. Um, first off, it's not for us to say whether or not people are in heaven. We, we hope, like, we, we know of assurance of salvation. I, we've lost people this year that I know they felt and, and understood that they had assurance of salvation, but me on the outside, I don't know the inner workings of their heart. I don't know the workings of their mind, so it's not my job to figure out who gets to go to heaven or not. I want to say that, but then I want to tell you, and I'm going to prove this, I think, and if I don't prove it for you, I'm okay with that, but I'm going to prove that I think I know where three people in the Bible who do not go to heaven and, and who are definitely in hell. And before I talk about that, I want to, and I mean, Sapphira is one of them, but before I talk about that, I want to say one other thing with boldness. Um, I want to make sure you all hear this. I believe in the assurance of salvation. I believe once saved, always saved. I believe if you have given your life to Jesus, if you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I believe that you are destined for heaven. And so when I say what I'm about to say, part of the implication is my mind is I think they were a never a part of the church. They were faking it. And so I want to say that on the front end because I'm not right now trying to say, well, if you don't give the Lord enough, you go to hell. Again, this isn't about tithing, but we have to talk about this. When it says breathed her last, that phrase should immediately draw your mind back to other things. Now, before we go any further, there's another person who breathed his last, Jesus. The word behind Jesus breathing his last is a different word than what we're talking about today. I have to mention this in case someone's reading through Luke and, go, or reading through Luke and goes, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, the implications here. Um, the word in Luke is his last breath left him. It's simple. Um, the word in Greek, breathed her last, is from this word um, exuko. Um, and most people translate it to breathe one's last. Um, but if you, ek kind of means like away from or moving away from. Suko, suko is life or soul. Um, it's not breath. To, to have one's soul life leave would be a much better translation in my mind. Um, and I'm going to keep going into this. Ananias, when he died, he breathed his last in the exact same way, the exuko. Um, and it's his soul or his life left him. Herod, Herod, who um, killed James, the brother of John, in Acts 12, when he dies, because um, the people are, wor- like, first, first Herod um, kills James, the brother of John, and he imprisons Peter, and the people are, like, worshiping Herod. And, and Herod does not give God the glory. The people are like, you are like a God, not a man. And he's like, <laughs> and then God, through an angel of the Lord, struck Herod down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. And that eaten by worms is the thing that informs me the most because eaten by worms, decomposing, when, when we die, we decompose if we are buried. But, but the eaten by worms here, I think what we're seeing is very important. You see, this exuco tied to have one solar life leaves is a different verb than the verb we see the couple of times we see believers die where, where the verb idea matches them as the subject. And you're like, man, Matt, this is nerdy. But okay, um, when Stephen dies, the first martyr in the church who is killed for his witnesses, he's offering judgment against the religious leaders. When he is killed, do you know what it says? He fell asleep. Whether or not his body decomposed, the, the body, the heart, the, the life, the soul that mattered is asleep awaiting the resurrection. 
And it talks about in Acts 2 when Peter, or when Peter, when Peter's preaching, when Jesus, or when David had died in the Old Testament, it said he fell asleep because the belief is someday because of the Messiah, there will be a resurrection. And so for believers, when we die, we fall asleep. For non-believers, when we die, something else happens. And I, I think that it's very important to understand this because in this passage, I'm not saying right now, I believe that they're in hell because of me and because of my opinions. I'm saying I believe that when the divine author God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired Luke to put the word exuko or exucaron or whatever, however it's pronounced in the, the proper lemma, you guys don't need to know that, but um, when, when Luke penned this word for Ananias, when he penned the word for Sapphira, and when he penned the word for Herod, he did it with great intention to show the believers of that day something. Because he wanted the believers who heard this message to understand that there is no way to enter the kingdom in a fake way. There's no way to enter the kingdom and and to still do it on your own terms. If you are in the kingdom of heaven and you are there to make your own name great, to be glorified, if, if that is why you're there, you have completely missed the point. If out of this right now you're thinking, I don't want to go to hell so I need to tithe more. Wrong. Wrong, okay? I make sure to say this over and over, and some of you are like, he's saying this too much, Jess. Hi. But, but the, the point is, is I don't want someone to miss the real application. The real application is not, there are things that I can do to gain more in the kingdom of God. The idea is, I need to be thinking and living in such a way that I live for the kingdom of God. I need to be living in such a way where, where this is what happens at the end. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. At the end of this internal moment for the church, do you know what they do? They boldly go out and continue to declare the glory of Jesus and the resurrected king. At no point in this story do they slow down. They, this sad moment happens in the church because these people who faked it come in and they're struck down through divine judgment. And on the other side of it, do you know what happens? The gospel message keeps going out. It keeps going to Jerusalem. And we're about to see as persecution hits, it starts to go further and further out because the Holy Spirit's not going to be stopped. But the people who fake it and fake like they have the Holy Spirit and are part of a community of believers who are one heart and one soul, who are a part of that community for their own gain, the Holy Spirit's going to stop them. But the Holy Spirit is not going to stop moving. What keeps us from being one heart and soul today? Well, that, that as we come to the end, I, I want to draw your attention to the biggest problem in this passage. The biggest problem in this passage is that, and I've said it a bunch, and I just want you to hear it, is that, that they wanted people to think more of them than they were. They cared more about the opinions of the people in the church than about the Holy Spirit and about God. I, I want to tell you, when I read this passage, there's a very logical thing they could have done that would have prevented everything. If Ananias, after they sold the land, and Sapphira would have talked and said, you know what, we can give the church 50%, but we feel like we need to keep the other 50%. And if when they brought it in and laid it at Peter's feet, he said, Peter, we only gave you half of it. I think Peter would have responded, okay, if that's where your faith's at and that's what you're willing to give, great. And the idea would have been, let's Work on transformation of just having that faith in the Lord that the Lord will help you to to do the things he has called you to do. And if this is what you feel the Lord has called you to, or is this as far as you're willing to go all in, let's start from there. Because the problem in this passage is what they present themselves as. They're not vulnerable. They're not honest at any point. Sapphira could have said, oh, you found out. I'm so sorry. She could have. 
They, they don't say any of that. Instead, they, they try and uphold themselves as this, oh, look how great we are. And that is, that is a cancer that can infect a church so quickly. And in this early story, what, what Luke is trying to draw our attention to, what the, the Holy Spirit does here is tries to tell us, don't do that ever. It is better for us as believers to admit readily our failures and our wrongs and to admit our struggles than for us to pretend to be something that we're not. Because, because if we pretend to be something that we're not and if we present ourselves that way, then why did Jesus need to come in the first place if that's true? Jesus needed to come because none of us are that. None of us. I have a story about what keeps me from being one heart and soul. Um, and I, um, a bad application from this. Um, some of you are going to be tempted to do it, but don't do it, okay? But um, for, for me, um, this COVID season, probably the hardest thing for me was when we first started doing sermons where we were, no one was in the building. And so here's what would happen after I preached. I'd get done preaching. Right away, Rich, Bethany, I, and our production team would be talking about, did the stream work? Did this work? Did this work? We got to make sure this gets here. We got to make sure. And we'd talk about like 400 things. And I'd wonder, I wonder, was the sermon okay? Um, because I, I like hearing from people, man, Matt, that was a good sermon. Here's what I learned from it. Here's how I, you know, and I, I like hearing that feedback. And then, and then I'd go home and, and Jess would say, Matt, you need to learn how to sit on a stool. Or you need to wear dress pants. Or, um, you, or you need to make sure your shirt's tucked. My shirt's not tucked in right. I can tell. I don't tuck my shirt in well. That's why I need Jess to um, be here. But um, not to shame her. This is more of a me personal thing. But, but the point is, is that I, I realized as I was preparing this sermon, and it, it hit me really hard, um, that sometimes when I'm preaching or preparing a sermon, I, I am trying to think, Lord, I want to glorify you through this. But then as I'm preaching and as I finish, I want to hear, ooh, how did people respond? What did people like about what I said? And there was a week where I was like, oh, I can log online and see the transcripts after the service of what people typed in. And all of a sudden, I realized, why am I doing this? And I was cut by that because I was like, man, am I doing this to hear what people say about what I do after? No, good. I, but, but sometimes, and that's what keeps me from being one heart and soul in this community is when I try and put my agenda above I try and make my name great. I, and, and I do it. I do it, and I have to check it, and I need to be in community. I need to talk to people about it. I need to willingly say, man, I'm struggling because I'm thinking about myself more than I'm thinking about others. This week in our um, small groups, as we kicked off our small groups, um, I'm, I'm doing like a youth small group on Sunday nights, a, a men's small group, and a, a youth small group on Thursday nights. And at the small group on Tuesday night, I didn't know the answer to one of the questions. And I wrote the questions. And I was feeling ridiculous, and I was feeling like a fraud. And no one else in the group felt that way. I don't, maybe they did. I don't, I don't see any of them here. Do I feel like a fraud? No, okay, maybe, maybe, thank you. But, um, but I, I had this moment of, oh my gosh, I wrote this, I'm expecting people to answer this, and I don't know how to answer it, and I felt like a shame. And then I was like, is that really a shame, or is that a moment where I need to say, Lord, help me to see this. Help me, because it was the question, where's your Judea and Samaria right now? And on that question, my answer was, I mean, I could say Chicago, but right now I don't do anything in Chicago. I, right now in my life, I don't really support anything outside of Jerusalem. And some of that is just because of the season we're in. And some of that might be okay right now as long as I'm aware and praying, Lord, help me not forget about that. And Lord, reveal to me ways to do that. But I don't want to say that because I want to present myself as a completed work. 
I don't want to present myself in a vulnerable way. I want to present myself as someone who's already finished it and figured it out. And this is a cancer in the church when we live this way. For an older generation, what I can say to you as an older generation, I'm 34, so I get to say I'm like in the middle, I think. I don't know. For an older generation, what young people, especially young adults, need to hear in the church is, man, we do not have it together, but praise the Lord, the Lord's helping us get it more and more together. That is all the younger generation needs to hear. They desire genuine authenticity, and then they fake doing it. Younger generation, what you need to know is that you're not very authentic. I'm a part of that. We do this fake vulnerability thing where we protect what we want to be and what we want to claim to be, and we talk about our story as if it's completed, even as in our heads we're like, I'm lying. I'm lying, but we present ourselves in a way that isn't true because we think if we present ourselves as genuine, then people might think we are, and then we might be what we're actually hoping to be. And so this is why the church needs the church. This, this week, if I can say two things, action point number one, if you are not in a group, of, like I'm going to say small groups, but if you're not in any type of group of believers where you can talk actively about your faith and your struggles and about how the Lord is transforming you or how you're resisting and struggling to be transformed, if you have no community like that, then I just want to tell you, I I don't know what to say to you except I have no action points except do that. I, I have no other idea for you except you need this. We all need this because none of us are as good as we claim to be. And it's good that we're not because if we live up to the values in our head, I mean, there's a whole longer conversation here, but, but I'm glad that the Lord wants me to be more like Jesus than more than what I think I should be. And I'm, I'm glad that I have moments where the Lord rips me open in a positive way to show me, Matt, what you're desiring and pursuing is not of me. Turn to me. And, and that's what we as a church need to do together. Action point number two as we start this second week of small groups, for, for those of you in small groups, last week you, you wrote down a challenge, um, and it's the heart of everything we're doing, is eight weeks of what's the challenge? How are you going to witness and live out your faith through the power of the Holy Spirit? And for some of you this week, as you approach your small group, you're going to get there, you're going to be driving, you're going to say, shoot, I didn't do my challenge this week. And do you know what you're going to do? You're going to show up to your small group and you're going to waffle around and you're going to say, man, I didn't quite do what I'd prayed about and what I felt led to do and what I talked about, but let me tell you all the other things I did. I I prayed more. I did this more. I did this more. And and you're going to ignore the fact that last week you felt some type of prompting from the Holy Spirit that you were going to follow. And so you're going to try and sell it. Don't sell it. Say to your group, man, I struggled. Because what would have been a beautiful story of Ananias and Sapphira is if when Ananias showed up, he said, Peter, I don't have faith to give my all right now. Pray for me. But here's what I'm willing to give. And that is as the church, that's, uh, we should be striving to give our all. We shouldn't live in this, well, I can only give 50%, so I'm going to stay there. Because that's wrong too. But, but we cannot pretend for a moment like, like, like we, we are just going to, you know what, if I present myself well, if I fake it till I make it, eventually I'll be there. Because the way we get there is by becoming less and less fake and becoming more and more vulnerable and willing to let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And the Holy Spirit's not going to work in our lives if we're always lying to ourselves and others. I want to encourage you today to, to take heart, talk to someone about this sermon. Don't leave today going, man, that was challenging, 
I got to get to next weekend now, and maybe it'll be less challenging or something. I don't know. Talk to someone about what stirred in your heart. I will tell you, if today you're feeling like, man, this whole time, I know Matt's saying we're not talking about tithing, but I feel guilty about finances, don't go talk to someone and say, you know what? I think we should give to the church more. Say, you know, I've been, I've been feeling a struggling that, that maybe I don't have enough faith in the Lord to give him back some of what he's given me. Have that conversation. If you're struggling with, I, I know I need to share my faith, but I'm struggling with how to do that in any tangible way. Tell someone, man, I'm struggling. This witness series makes me uncomfortable because I'm only around Christians. And this is me talking. I'm around so many Christians and so few non-Christians in my life, not just at church. We, like, we can easily, Jess and I, live in a bubble. And so when I read the small group curriculum that over the summer I was like, this is so awesome as we were writing it. Now I'm like, oh, I have to try and do this now. And I feel that with you, know that, but we have to be willing to step out and we also have to be willing to say, I don't know that I believe in the Lord in this. Help me in that unbelief because what will happen when we do that is someone in our community will say, I've been there. I've been there. I pray with a, one of our SOS people every week and the best part of those prayers is sometimes I'll share a struggle with him and he will say, you know, you're, you're telling me that. I was there when I was your age. I remember that. And we talk about it, and, and it gives me such encouragement to know I'm not alone because others have done it, and the Holy Spirit has worked in other people, and that means he can work in me too. If you're here today and you're not a believer, I want to tell you that, that the biggest, most toxic thing that happens sometimes in the church is that people think, people think that you have to have it all figured out. And the only human who ever had it all figured out was Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sin and proved that, that it was true when he rose again, he, he offered to anyone and everyone, not, if you figure it all out, I'll let you join my kingdom. He offered where you're at. Accept me as your Lord and Savior. Accept that I died on the cross for your sins, that I rose again. Make me king of your life. And we'll work out all those details later because I will give you the Holy Spirit. And wherever you are at right now, I will help you to take those steps and I, I will be with you. And it's this beautiful promise that we all have in Christ and we all need to remember because just because I've said a prayer does not make me a Christian. I am a Christian because the Holy Spirit is in my life and is transforming me. And each and every person has that offer from Jesus through the cross and the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. And Lord, we thank you that through your spirit, we can be one heart and soul. We thank you that through you, the things that keep us from being an authentic community of followers for you that have all things in common, your spirit is working in our lives to move us closer and closer to you. And Lord, I, I pray right now that if there are those who don't know you and they don't have a relationship with you, that even now they would pray, Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I, I cannot get to you on my own. I, I can't work things out on my own. But when you sent your son, when he was born, lived, and died on the cross and rose again, he did so for the forgiveness of my sins. And when he defeated death, he proved that his forgiveness is true. And I want to accept that forgiveness. I want to make Jesus king of my life and I want to live for him. And Lord, I pray that those who don't know you would pray that prayer this morning, that they would respond to your message, that they would not go it alone. If they're struggling, that they would talk to someone here, talk to me after the service, talk to someone online, text a friend who's a believer. Just, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be prompting them to not stay where they are, 
to not try and pretend they're part of the community, but to step fully in. And Lord, I I pray for all of us, I pray for myself, that I would not try and present myself as something other than someone that is being transformed by you. I pray for all of us that, that we would be empowered by your spirit, that as we go out, that we would recognize that it is through you that we are that we are able to be your witnesses, that it's the power that you give us in your Holy Spirit. And I pray for our small groups this week that we'd be able to talk about the ways we've witnessed you work and testify to the things you've allowed us to do for your glory. And we thank you that it's for your glory, not ours. We thank you that at the end of the day, Lord, you are working in our lives to make us more and more like your son on this side of the grave and the other. We thank you that for those of us who believe that death is not the end of life, the end of anything, but, but death, there's a promise that we will wake up and be with you for eternity. We thank you for these promises, and we pray that you would just help us live in your spirit and live in authentic community together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As you leave today, I want to encourage you, whatever is just on your heart right now, as you go, text someone call someone, talk to someone, talk to someone in your car about it, but don't, don't just let this sermon fall, not because of what I said, but because of what the Spirit is doing and stirring in your heart. Go in peace.